This episode has some language that you may not want children to hear. I mean, it's up to you. Hey, this is Luis Avila. I truly hope you're doing well. What a week, what a month, and really what a year. We all keep saying this in 2020, I know. And last week, after the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, this was in everybody's mind again. As you listen to this episode, there's probably still a chess game being played between Republicans and Democrats to decide who, and more importantly, when, the replacement of Justice Bader Ginsburg will be confirmed. The GOP dragged down the nomination process in 2016 and refused to even vote on President Obama's candidate until voters elected a new president. In the last days, we've seen videos and audio from Republicans four years ago saying that if this very scenario was playing out in 2020, they would wait until the voters elected a president. Four years later, though, they're pushing for a swift appointment process with no delay. We founded Iconico with the mission of building advocacy and electoral capacity with communities most impacted by social inequities. And since 2016, we noticed a trend that has changed the way money flows in politics. Therefore, the way politics and power are made in the United States. And since this podcast is a space to make meaning of what happens in social change, we wanted to explore how is it that we are in the current situation. How can Republicans have been able to build such sustained power over the last decade when their party represents a minority of Americans? How is it that they seem to be in total control? They run the White House, the Senate, potentially the courts, the media, think tanks, philanthropy, and much more. A new political infrastructure is being created by communities in both parties in all states across the country. Both conservative and progressive organizations are being funded outside of the political party system to win elections and to advance agendas. This new stream of resources has created a diverse and robust ecosystem of organizations that push against elected officials and moves political parties towards ideological centers of gravity. In today's episode, we explore this new trend and talk to someone who has closely studied the way Republicans have effectively built these networks of power for decades. And how is it that progressive organizations are catching up to it? Iconico Exchange is an effort to discuss how changemakers approach their work. Iconico Exchange. We talk about campaigns, places of tension, and joy in our movements, and get inspired by organizers and activists all around the world. Iconico Exchange. This week's guest is Luis Heredia, the current executive director for the Arizona Education Association the largest labor union in the state. He has dedicated a lot of energy to raise awareness about how Republicans have been able to hold on to power in this new battleground state and in other places as well. He often talks about how conservatives have been building a political infrastructure that allows them to have aligned and disciplined influence by having networked individuals at all levels of private, political, and government institutions. As usual in this show, we wanted to learn more about Luis and what he does without telling us his title. I consider myself a connector of individuals that work for the organization, uh, being the 
a manager per se, but is primarily being a person that is able to uh, connect employees to the mission of the organization, which is to give power uh, or develop power that people already have to take action for uh, a goal of a better public education in Arizona. Luis is originally from Yuma, Arizona a border town in the southwest corner of the state that has generated a lot of the current talent in Arizona's democratic politics. Luis has worked in congressional offices, is a delegate to the DNC, and is building political infrastructure every electoral cycle. So I wanted to talk to him because he's a student of political infrastructure. I wanted to know why was he so interested in this topic and where he got that from. Where did he get the energy and ambition to do the work he does? This is what he shared. I've shared this story often that I think when I remember individuals that would just do, that would take action because they walked into the responsibility, nobody assigned them that role, nobody kind of anointed them. But it was my grandmother, my dad's mother. I practically was raised by her. Uh, my, both, both my parents worked, so I would visit her. I would take care of her when she was, uh, when she was left alone or she was sick. Uh, and I would run errands for her, but I saw her, uh, she used to own una tienda de telas. Y, uh, she would be a seamstress and did just work for folks. And, and I went with her to a, a city council meeting in a chamber of commerce, and they were planning a parade for the uh, 16 de septiembre. And my grandmother just basically stepped up and pretty much organized it or got other people involved. I was just watching her in action. And I remember, uh, I clearly remember her just stepping up. And so she instilled the value of taking a leadership role that nobody's going to anoint you, that you, you do by action. I, I, I miss her a lot. She was also uh, active across the border. Uh, so she was part of Inequido her entire life, and she took a lot of pride to that. And she was uh, among the first women slate uh, of, that were elected to be part of the executive board of Inequido in the, in the early 1990s. I love the story of Luis's grandma. I think we all have warriors like her in our families, and it's always powerful when we find them. Luis also sprinkles a conversation with Spanish language words, code switching and offering language that carries a lot of meaning and tells us more about his border roots. We heard him say one word that I like to pull out to weave this conversation, and that is the word ejidos a system of reparations that the Mexican government created after the 1910 revolution, which allowed communities to manage plots of lands as cooperatives, creating systems of self-government that up until the 1990s had a significant amount of power in Mexican politics. Because they were self-governing, these individuals were constantly following and shaping policy. They even cultivated their own candidates for state and national office and they were a voting bloc for the party in power. Ejidos owned significant amount of resources in states that allowed them to shape and control local politics for decades. After the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA, the Mexican government allowed for these self-governed land cooperatives to sell or rent their land, and the Ejido system started declining in power, 
as they were broken into smaller pieces. They lost the ability to influence the federal government and to protect rural economies. And millions of Mexican people who toiled those lands migrated to cities and other countries. Who holds power matters in Mexico, in the US, in our states, in our cities. It matters everywhere. And lately, it feels like Republicans have a lot of that, a lot of power. How is that? Well, you you say the word, and so it is about power. It is, it is not about ideology. It is not about an issue. It is not about uh, who who says it or who is the spokesperson. Uh, if you would take the words that they describe Donald Trump before he was a candidate, in the beginning process that he was a candidate, Republicans uh, were very critical uh, of him, but they, they all fell in line because it's fundamental. Power is the goal. And if you clearly understand power that Republicans do so well without, I mean, they will get to the policy issue. They will be champions to the ideology. You only have to look at the legacy of them appointing a list of white men to uh, district courts. I mean, the people that are uh, empowered to do really bad things for this country. And they know, I mean, re- they, they will, they, they would give a fuck about if it was Donald Trump or someone else more sinister, they fall in line because of power. And I think an internal reflection is that I think liberals, progressive Democrats, um, we're distracted because we're passionate about issues that get, that get us to play politics. We never really have a conversation of what power is and what power does to us. Power is defined as the ability to act or produce an effect. So when we talk about political power, it can be explained as who gets to make decisions and who those decisions benefit. So who makes decisions lately? For me, it feels like decisions are being made by a minority who has a lot of control over our lives. A small minority of mostly white, socially conservative, straight males that have been championing attacks against economically challenged and racially segregated communities for decades. They exist in both parties, but lately, the Democratic Party has had to reckon with this. A more racially and politically diverse coalition of young people are pushing the party to have difficult conversations. Therefore, the energy is in many places at once. So holding on to power for Republicans, it's easier than the efforts for Democrats to take it. But I still wanted to know how this looked like in the Republican side. How they sustained power, even when they continued to lose the popular vote, polls show overwhelming support for issues they continue to hold back, they are a party that hasn't truly evolved when it comes to the baseline vision they present of the country. So how is it that so many of them fall in line? How did they build this network of disciplined individuals? So they've been able to, uh, A, it's always about people. And, and if you look deep down outside of the money and, and power that corporations have and special interests, you, we would learn a lot how they invest in young attorneys that come into a law firm that end up doing work for, I mean, corporations and, and, and other special interests. 
And then they move to become policy advisors to the legislature. And then they end up, I mean, they jump from that that policy position to a campaign. Uh, and, and they have an enormous amount of influence that they yield because of the people that has been, they've been incubated and they've been allowed to exercise that power uh, in different functions of both the, the corporate world, the policy world, and, and, the, camp, and the electoral world. The, the, like, for example, it's not, the RNC is not the powerhouse. Uh, you have a real strong Republican Governors Association. You have this thing called the Republican State Leadership Committee. And they have been investing in people in, in, throughout the country. Uh, there are organizations like Turning Point uh, that funnels money to college campuses to uh, build ideologues. And, and then they pay for internships and campaigns or special interest groups, connecting, connecting the dots for them that they can easily hop from, uh, from being a college student to running a campaign for the Republican Governors Association. There's definitely more than talent to holding on to power. In the last electoral cycles, the GOP has blatantly spoken about voter suppression tactics as a way to remain in power in states where demographics are changing. As you listen to this, states that are led by Republicans are purging their lists of registered voters under the pretense, if you don't use it, you lose it. There are reports of thousands of voter signatures that according to them do not match the original one on file and are being disqualified. And in one of the worst case scenarios, the presidential election could be decided by a Supreme Court that is overwhelmingly conservative. The system is working to keep power for some. Who are they? In 2010, a small group of CEOs and other heads of corporations ushered a new way of doing politics in the United States. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of Citizens United, a case that basically recognized corporations' rights for free speech in politics, making it possible for them to finance and literally drown out opponents with millions of dollars. By limiting the way that they could give to campaigns, Basically, Citizens United allow the wealthiest in America to legally buy out elections. Money is like water. It will find the path of least resistance. It will find a path to get to, to the influence it needs to get to. But the origins uh, before McCain-Feingold, which was a ban on soft money that the parties used to have, to do voter registration, to do voter communication, maybe not in the elect Joe Smith or Jose Rodriguez to this political office because you had to use hard money for that. But you could have you the political parties had money for communication and voter registration. And it was the only entity in the ecosystem that could receive a limited amount of money, which was soft money, into these uh, organizations. Now they were trying to figure out how they were going to move money. So they ended up doing citizens. I mean, the Citizens United case was actually connected to a they claimed on free speech. And that became kind of like the, the decision on Citizens United from the Supreme Court. Yeah, it's, it's what I call it's created political entrepreneurship by these entities. So there's a lot of creative entrepreneurship on how to get elections done. There's a lot of inefficiencies in that system. Uh, 
money being spent and the amount of money being used on, on TV and radio is still astonishing. Uh, if there was one one issue that should unite us all in the equal passion, like for Medicare for all or the new the Green New Deal or other issues, it should be eliminating the influence of money in the political system. That that will cut the health insurances and the pharma influences in the the uh, stopping Medicare for all. That will stop the utilities and big coal and other entities in a way that we need to figure out that their influence in elections is really out of control. Because, I mean, in, in the U.S. Senate race in Arizona, we're going to see close to 300, 300 million dollars be spent on TV. Um, and that's going to be a lot of money, primarily financed by uh, groups like that were because uh, exist because of Citizens United. As you heard from Luis, basically money was decentralized from political parties, allowing resources to flow to organizations and campaigns that could target very specific voters, play unique roles to persuade segments of the population to vote or to simply stay at home. Some of these organizations are created simply to attack or elect a specific candidate that doesn't align with the values of those with money. So the system has been kind of privatized creating an industry of organized money in a race to affect elections. The game for corporate interests and the Republicans in power has become how to keep as many of us from voting. It will be our work to fight against these trends, organize stronger community networks, and ultimately limit the influence of money in voting. But how do we do that when it seems like such a monumental task? I asked Luis what he'd like to explore if we had more time. I, you know, I, I always want to like really have conversations about a specific let's dive into like a power analysis i think we could we could spend a lot of time to learn by just dissecting what we all care about if we spend the time to understand kind of like a, a 360 view of the problem and i don't think we spend enough time on some some topics uh in bringing other folks to contribute but really stay to stick to one issue and then do a deep dive on the power analysis of people influences and then I think that allows us to have a critical roadmap for people to kind of take back the power that we all have uh, and, and derail the people that are using too much power because they don't they don't have it, uh, but they've been able to manipulate what they do have. So if you're passionate about an issue that directly impacts you or your loved ones, start by asking who benefits from this. What role do they have in keeping the status quo? How do we take that power away from them? The American political system is certainly in crisis. And while Donald Trump has made it all more chaotic and has fundamentally used division and hate to govern, there's a deeper system at work that is making our democracy one that is controlled by a minority not representative of our country. To change this, we're going to have to engage more people in the system, and this year particularly. We have a unique opportunity to shape the future of this country. As November approaches, I hope that you're thinking about your role in this year's election. Maybe you are already working to increase voter participation with a local organization, or volunteering to protect voter access as a poll worker, or simply making sure your family and friends have a plan to vote. There are countless of groups that do this type of work across the country including political parties, new American majority coalitions, and organizations like Indivisible, a volunteer-led organization with chapters everywhere. 
In Arizona, we are working hard to build a sustained progressive infrastructure, one led by people and not corporations. If you are interested in supporting the work of groups fighting against the influence of money in elections, visit miaz.us. That's M-I-A-Z.us. You can also support an important ballot initiative Luis Heredia is leading in Arizona to increase education funding in one of the less researched education systems in the country. Visit investined.com, that is investined like investineducation.com. If you want to geek out more about this issue, I recommend you the book Dark Money by Jane Meyer. It tells the story of a small minority of corporate heads that changed American politics forever and the impact it'll have for generations. Big thanks to Grecia Beltran for producing this episode, to Francisco Flores for the sound design and mixing, to Monica Nowakowski and Jacob Acuña for the promotion, Carla Chavarria for the graphics, and to you for giving us your time this week. Some of you have asked how to support this podcast. Please subscribe to Iconico Exchange in whatever platform you use to listen to us and rate and review the show. It helps others find us. The music is by Barrio Lindo and the writing and editing was done by me, Luis Avila. Until next week, and don't forget you are powerful, more so if you are with others. I love making carne asada, uh, but that is like on the grill and costillas de res, uh, everything that goes with it, including uh, the flour tortillas you buy at Costco that look like they're handmade. And so, I mean, those are one. Uh, the the other thing that I like I like to cook is uh, chiles rellenos uh, sonorenses con salsa roja. The views and opinions expressed by the guests and hosts of Iconico Exchange are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Iconico or the Fuerte Network.